and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who is the best friend and podcast partner a man could ever have. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, you're doing. I'm back. You're, you're doing the opening remarks while wrapped in a blanket. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little, a little cold. I've got uh-huh. a raspy voice. A raspy little bit. voice. And obviously, I haven't been on the show for what two weeks. Thereabouts, yeah. Thereabouts, and so I should explain my absence. <laughs> I mean, you don't need to put it quite well, in such yeah. a like. I must explain my absence. Yeah, to apologize. do it at high school, I think you should have to do it on podcast. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, maybe yeah, maybe like the abbreviated version would be good because I've sort of I haven't like the best way I can explain it is like I haven't wanted to put your business in the streets, so I haven't <laughs> wanted to say quite so much what's going on other than to say that like you're as okay as you can be, you're okay, but you're not great. So now you're here and you can do yeah. it yourself. All right, so. The very long story mm-hmm. is I got that cancer diagnosis in January. The recent news is I had a bowel blockage because a tumor was blocking my bowel. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a get Daryl into hospital, do some surgery on him mm-hmm. kind of situation, right? So I got an ileostomy, mm-hmm. which is where you get a bag. Um, and I've been recovering from the surgery. And I'm kind of still recovering, but I was really desperate just to get back in the studio and do an episode with Taylor. So yes. I'm... I'm okay. I'm through mm-hmm. the danger because it was dangerous when mm-hmm. the bowel was blocked because things are supposed to move through your bowels. Yep. Um, they're not just supposed to keep inflating, apparently. <laughs> um, so that has been solved. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty lively with a microphone in front of me. Um, and I'm good to continue also the clinical trial, mm-hmm. the, uh, which That's is the key thing, going right? on in Boston, which is the treatment I'm getting for the cancer. Okay. So there we are. That's that's me explained. Okay. That's you explained. Uh, so you feel good, as yeah. good as you can at least. Uh-huh. Uh, you're back wrapped in your blanket yes. to, uh, to blanket, help me answer those two questions. Blanket yeah. is post-surgery blood thinners mm-hmm. to stop any clots. Also makes you feel a bit cold. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And also the air conditioning in our building is centralized. Yeah. So we have low, medium, and high. Low <laughs> is necessary given that it's still hot outside, but uh, it doesn't really uh, isn't really forgiving to folks who are maybe slightly colder. It's not. But I'm okay. All I've, right. got, I've got my blanket. All I'm all good. And I've got eight listener questions. You do. All submitted to totalsoccershow.com slash questions. You do. Uh, We've got many to get to. They are of varying degrees of difficulty in how we're going to answer them. Uh, The one first, I struggled with you less so, so we'll go there. Uh, Billy Height asks, is Berhalter's system just too cerebral and complex for international play? Uh, You did a very good job of kind of breaking this question down to its basics in a way that I did not, which is probably why it was easier for you to answer than me. Well, So the way I answer this is to not think about, like, is Berhalter doing a good job implementing it, this and that? Like, just take the question at face value. Is this system of possession soccer, positional play, we keep the ball, we disrupt the opposition and exploit openings, too cerebral and complex for international play? The answer is no, because we've seen other international teams do it. Spain won 2008 Euros, 2010 World Cup, 2012 Euros, playing this style of play. The Dutch national team often plays this style of play. The Curaçao national team plays this style of play, right? It is not too complex for international play. It just depends what culture your players come from. Okay. So basically you're saying that the tiny alienation of Curacao, their players are more able to technically fulfill the requirements of this system than the U.S. players? In theory, because Curacao obviously uh, is Dutch territory. Mm -hmm. So many of those players are like, you know, Dutch second division players and Dutch first division players. So they've come through the Dutch system because this positional play, possession play is essentially – the Dutch style of soccer, right? So if you just grow up in this culture and this is how you're taught to play football, it's no way too cerebral and complex for international play. So the question then becomes, is it too cerebral and complex for a bunch of players that have never played this way before? 
And, and, I st- and I'm glad Billy didn't ask that question because I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I can give you my best answer, which is like it shouldn't be, I don't think, because I take your point that like, yes, those players are schooled in the Dutch system, but it still seems to me like you should be able to, through practice and like watching other teams play and practicing it yourself in training, be able to figure it out. And it yeah. still feels like we haven't quite moved uh, like or advanced in like our ability to execute that game plan. So I do still have questions about that, that like, I, I take your point, but I still struggle with it a little bit at the same time. Yeah. Well, and if we're going to think about it that way, I would argue that we are still in the the learning phase, right? Where Behalter is trying to get this whole thing like working like clockwork, mm-hmm. um, and it's not quite there. But you, all, we often see little signs of it working, right? Throughout the Gold Cup, we definitely—I remember us doing our reviews and having moments where we saw like, mm-hmm. okay, this thing is working. This in this moment, it worked. So I still preach the idea that even if it's not like fully finished and it's not fully working just yet at least give this thing a chance and see see if it works out or not and if we start world cup qualifying Mm -hmm. and we're still not able to implement correctly and results are going against us i think that might be the time when we have to say okay we had a full year to do this before we started playing international games for points and we're in trouble now this is maybe where we have to put a stop to it but there have been two games since that Gold Cup that you just mentioned. Yeah. And like, I feel like it's worth remembering that like neither one of those games were particularly uh, like soothing for the U.S. fan base. And yeah. so, like, like I, again, I don't necessarily disagree, but I still have those concerns about, like, yeah, like there's moments here and there where it seems like it's okay. But then against Mexico, I saw a lot more signs that maybe things were not yeah. working. Yeah, but I'd argue that the way Behalter – so you, you, were, you did lots of interviews mm-hmm. and talked to a lot of people – about that game, right? You talked to what? Uh, Joe Lowry, mm-hmm. uh, Tenorio. That and the Uruguay game, yeah. Felipe Cardenas. Yeah. Really, honestly, I really enjoyed listening to those shows while I was in hospital. It was good entertainment. Thank you. Um, plus, every time I heard an ad, I was like, oh, I just made money. <laughs> Didn't have to do anything. That's good. <laughs> um, it's good to get all different perspectives. And I think the thing that a lot of people touched on was the idea that Behalter used that game as a friendly to try and teach players how to do a certain mm-hmm. thing, like the playing out of the bat thing at the expense of letting us be embarrassed against Mexico. And I feel like it's almost like you've got to, in a generous way, you could say you've got to let Berhalter experiment, let him, let the team learn the hard way, mm-hmm. and you will get our rewards in the long term. One thing is, Our reward okay. waits for us in World Cup qualifying. Let's hope. Or possibly um, in the CONCACAF Nations League. Well, see, I guess, okay, that's what I want to ask, though. And, like, maybe this is a conversation for another day. Like, I mean that sincerely. Like, maybe this is a thing we can dedicate an episode to is, like, I, I think I need a plan for you and me in terms of, like, when it is safe to say, like, okay, things are not working. Because yeah. I don't do well when things are nebulous and kind of it could be this, it might be that. Maybe it's this. Maybe we are building that. Oh, that's not, but maybe. Like, I, I think it's hard for me to continue to hear, like, oh, but we're building. Oh, but it's going in the right direction. It's, it's been a year. Like, so, I've, got, I've got an easy way for sure. you when points are on the line. Okay. I think that's it. I think CONCACAF Nations League, I know it's only Cuba and mm-hmm. Canada. I mean, Canada are a decent-ish team, right? But you should expect that we're not experimenting, we're not learning, we're trying to win those points. Mm-hmm. World Cup qualifying, and, and just to be, to be clear, like, assuming that we beat uh, Canada and Cuba, then we'll have next June, we'll have the competitive CONCACAF Nations League final mm-hmm. games, right? Yeah. It's been moved from March to June, by the way. So like, that's when you that's when there's no excuse for tinkering and messing around. And we'll keep qualifying because there's points, there's no excuse for tinkering and messing around. But we might have to accept that Greg Berhalter's approach to friendlies does not match our approach to friendlies in that he's willing to take a loss if he's like teaching the players some sort of concept. This is a concern that I articulated to one of the people that you listed that was on the, on the show. You but can't like, remember which one? I, I cannot. We talked about it lots of things. It was a whirlwind of interviews. It was. But like, 
isn't that a bit unrealistic, though, that expectation to assume that, like, but in meaningful games, we'll definitely be able to do it? Like, don't you want to see a friendly where we absolutely show that we're capable of doing it to then be like, all right, yeah, but now, but now in that competitive game, we can. But, like, think of the Jamaica games, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember Jamaica friendly before the Gold Cup? Yeah. We tried something, looked horrible, mm-hmm. got destroyed, played Jamaica in the Gold Cup, beat them really convincingly. It's probably mm-hmm. the best performance of the whole Gold Cup. Okay. So I think, honestly, I would hold that as the example of Behalter in friendlies versus Behalter's US men's national team in friendlies versus Behalter's US men's national team when points or progression through a tournament mm-hmm. are on the line. And I'm really willing to give him that leeway and make that distinction, provided we don't start looking bad when actual points are on the line. No. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not. That's my answer. I am not as inclined to like go along with that one, yeah. but you know, for sake of argument, if my voice sure. was less raspy, would it be more convincing? <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's or the maybe problem. less. Maybe I'll be less convincing. I think I really am. I just I think like I will maybe... perform a smelly cat later. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, maybe I've talked too much about Burhalter, or maybe I've talked too much about the national team, but I find myself very. Like confused and then slightly optimistic and then very pessimistic and it's a lot of whirlwind like and that's where this question threw me is like well is it Burhalter who can't implement it or is it the system that can't implement it is the players who don't know how to do it do some players and other players don't and that's where you're right if the question is just about the system that makes it a bit more simplified but as soon as you start to add in other factors it gets a lot more complex for me ready for another question let's do that instead okay it's still with the U.S. Mm-hmm. Men's National Team Kit Verts Kit Verts asks. Could Weston McKenney thrive at Arsenal? Mm-hmm. And Kit adds in parentheses, which I always appreciate, I'm a huge Weston McKenney fan and a huge Arsenal fan. So Kit is essentially hoping this happens. Yes. Is it realistic for Weston McKenney to thrive at Arsenal? Genuine question for you, Daryl, putting you on the spot. Who is the last player to thrive at Arsenal? <laughs> Like, sincerely, because I feel like it's maybe like Alexis Sanchez in his prime would be when it was like he's killing it with the national team. Yeah. He comes in, he's like a lethal player for Arsenal. And I mean, this is like, am I forgetting anybody? Would you say there's anybody more recently? Aaron Ramsey? You think? Yeah. Okay. But even then, that's a player that isn't really respected by like the ownership and they don't give him a contract and he leaves for free. Uh, well, yeah, but I think they would have liked to keep him. Okay. Yeah. All right. So may- maybe, but I think that's when they stumbled into. So I think, but I guess that is where my mindset is with this one is like, I don't know because I'm not confident that a lot of Arsenal players thrive. I feel like there's a lot of up and down performances and maybe that is kind of where Schalke are. So maybe that is where Weston McKinney is. Well, let me give you my answer right now. Right now, because Mm -hmm. I think Weston McKinney is a wonderful potential future player, Mm -hmm. but right now a kind of inconsistent player. Right, We've seen incredible performances from him where he's the guy that's just winning the ball off of everybody and then he's making the right pass every time. And you see other games where he's fouling people, he's getting frustrated, and he's making bad passes and giving the ball away. So my answer is essentially, he's kind of a very Arsenal player, but not in a good way, in that he's super capable, but very up and down Mm -hmm. and not not that consistent right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Like Granite Xhaka has moments where you're like, wow, Granite Xhaka is like a supreme midfielder. And then Granite Xhaka has moments... It's telling you we could have listed a couple of different players here. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Then he has moments when he lunge tackles and mm-hmm. uh, gives away horrible fouls or hits passes that don't come off. Yeah, I mean, David Luiz would like a word with you on, the, yeah. on that front because sometimes he makes very good defensive plays and then other times he concedes penalties and yeah. makes bad mistakes. So there we go, yeah. So maybe, yeah, so he maybe he could be an right Arsenal now player. Right he's at Arsenal in terms of <laughs> not the good version of Arsenal right now, the very up and down <laughs> version of Arsenal. So is this, like, is this though that like we're not sure about Arsenal or we're not sure about Weston McKinney to be a, a consistent performer? Because I do wonder with... The way Schalke's season went last season and the new manager coming in, they're trying to figure things out. It feels like McKenney is being asked to do a lot of different things for Schalke. No, I right know. He's been asked to play in a two-man central midfield. I mean, um, I've seen him be very far forward for Schalke and be like integral 
central to the attack, and I have seen him sit off and try to make plays. I've seen him drift wide on occasion for Schalke. Like I, I, I think he, if not being asked to do stuff, asked to be like an all-action midfielder essentially. So mm-hmm. he has a central position, but he's got license to go charging around. Then, like, do you think that is a thing that would work well at Arsenal? Though, is I guess what I'm saying is like, like, would his current role with Schalke fit with Arsenal, or would it have to be an adjusted role to fit with what Arsenal are doing? Ooh, so this is part of the problem of we don't really know what Arsenal are doing, mm-hmm. right? This yeah. is the whole question under Unai Emery. What is the Emery Arsenal style? And it still hasn't fully emerged, so we can't really put our finger on All it. Right. So is this the second question in a row that we have to be like, we'll see? <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, until Arsenal figure themselves out. Yeah. And until well, Here's the big thing. I also want to think of this bigger picture in terms of um, almost like what, what's Weston McKennie's future? What's Weston McKennie's ceiling? Mm-hmm. I honestly think if he develops um, into the player we're hoping he's going to become, remember, he's only 20, mm-hmm. right? And I think, I think his youth and relative inexperience, he's played like 50 Bundesliga games, explains his inconsistency. I think three, four years, there's a chance that McKenney really is that player mm-hmm. that is always winning the ball everywhere and then he's always making the sort of smart pass that no one else saw and is so competitive in midfield that he's like unstoppable. I honestly think he could be a sort of American version of Arturo Vidal. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not, I'm not saying as good, but similar in that he can take over a game in that way in a few years' time. So three to four years from now, he, he Weston McKenney could potentially thrive at Arsenal. Okay, that's what you're going to go with? Go. All right. Yes, there we go. Fair. And I actually just looked it up on my phone. Mm-hmm. Schalke are playing right now. Okay. Um, they're playing the Friday, you know, mm-hmm. the Friday night game in the Bundesliga, and they're winning 1-0 against Mainz. And they're already in the top half of the Bundesliga. I think they were sixth before because I was checking earlier today. McKenny's starting. I think Schalke under David Wagner and with McKenny playing central midfield, they're kind of in a good place. So maybe he's okay at Schalke for a little while now that Schalke aren't terrible. <laughs> All right. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it used to be rough to watch Schalke. It's not so rough to watch Schalke anymore. Yes. Uh, but so I think for like to give a more like immediate answer to Kit's question, I would say that no, I don't think he can thrive right now. I it think, wouldn't be a good move for him right now at all. No, because I think the the style that Arsenal want to play and then also the style that they are playing means that it's like not necessarily what he can do, you do right Arsenal now. Do you know what Arsenal want to do? No, but I, I mean, I would say that like, like, like historically the way Arsenal play combined with things I have seen from Unai Emery when they're playing at their best, I don't yeah. think that suits Weston McKinney right now mm-hmm. I think he would definitely be all action all over the place you would never fault him for trying that would never be a criticism against him but I also think it would be bad for him in the sense that there would be those performances as you've said where it's maybe he gets sent off for two yellow cards or maybe Arsenal just have a bad day and everybody plays poorly yeah. but that doesn't put him in a position to I think perform to that next level and on top of that I think the Premier League is a different entity it's a different animal yeah. it's a thing he has no experience with that takes time because here's what would happen if he went to Arsenal right now he'd be behind Lucas yep. Torreira he'd be behind Gendouzi mm-hmm. he'd be behind Xhaka um, Sabias is always in that midfield do you know what I mean he would struggle to start for Arsenal he's starting for Schalke as we record this yeah. you know what I'm saying Yeah. so there's no need for him to try and thrive at Arsenal just yet so maybe Kit be patient maybe okay. it'll happen in the future <laughs> Give it a few years. But if you would like to see Weston McKinney playing for uh, Schalke, but you maybe aren't sure how you could possibly do that, Daryl, maybe today's sponsor could help you out? You should do what I do <laughs> and use Fubo. That makes sense. I moved house this week. Yep. I cut the cord. Mm-hmm. I no longer have a uh, named cable provider. Mm-hmm. Um, I use my internet and I use Fubo because it gives me access 
to all the soccers that I could want. All the soccers that you could want. Yesterday I watched Wolves versus Braga in the Europa League mm-hmm. on Univision Deportes. <laughs> That's the dream right there. How'd you feel about that one? I mean, I felt good going in. They yeah. lost 1-0. Yeah. I felt bad coming out. All right. That's not Fubo's fault. It's not Fubo's fault. I mean, the stream was perfect. I mean, if they wanted to be the best possible stream, they would have found a way for your team to win to make yeah, you happy. they digitally editing yeah. uh, <laughs> Raul Jimenez scoring an equalizer. It's, it's, uh, no, it's North Korean Fubo does that, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, regular Fubo does not, but regular Fubo does uh, offer you things like a uh, 72-hour rewatch. So if you've missed the a game, best. you missed a show that you wanted to watch, it is there on demand for 72 hours after it was originally broadcast. But obviously they have the cloud DVR. so that 500 hours! Which I, I've tried filling it. I can't even fill it. I mean, I think I'm if you record DVR-er. everything, go I'm for a DVR. Um, but I think it's important there because there are certain channels that don't allow you to fast forward when you're rewatching on demand, which yep. can be problematic if, say, you're wanting to watch the most important moments of a 90-minute soccer game and you can't fast forward. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't necessarily help as much as, say, DVRing it, and then you can fast forward all the way through. So it kind of gives you both options of, like, you can keep your DVR like less cluttered because you have the on-demand feature, but at the same time, you can DVR then the most important things yep. so that you can definitely uh, watch them and watch them how you want to watch them. And it also gives you a nice calendar, right? You can mm-hmm. essentially click sports, click soccer, and it shows you the soccer calendar. Yep. Here's all the games you can watch today and you can like click through to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And it just lists all the games that are on all the channels they've got. Yep. And we're talking Fox Sports 1 and 2, uh, Fox Soccer Plus, B in Sports, um, like all kind. There's mm-hmm. uh, Univision is where I get a lot of stuff from. So much soccer coming at you. Mm-hmm. And one thing we don't talk about as often, but like because it maybe seems obvious, but I would mention is that like it is a very portable thing that you can have it on any number of your devices, on your laptop, yeah. on your iPad, on your phone, on your TV. I have it on my and, Apple TV. Yeah, yeah, and so you can be watching a game on your Apple TV. And But then if I want to go, like we only have the one TV in the house upstairs, so if I want to go downstairs and do some dishes, I bring my phone, turn, like open up the Fubo app, find yeah. that game, uh, set it up, and now I'm watching the game while doing dishes. And like, you can kind of move it around and watch the same thing with different devices in different locations. And I find that all that stuff helpful for us as the Total Soccer Show, because often we need to like rewatch a goal, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the easy way to do it now is we just open up Fubo, go to that game, we know what minute it is, we just scroll through it. Don't, we're not forced to watch any ads for insurance or anything, because you can just scroll through and you just watch the goal. Yep. It's so much soccer at your fingertips. It is absolutely incredible. So if people would like to try Fubo, if they want to learn more about Fubo, Daryl, what can they do? How can they do it? We get 10% off your first two months. If what? You go to the, and we'll get some. We'll mm-hmm. get you know the credit for you signing up. That would be good. If you go to, not in an affiliate kind of way, but just they'll know that we sent you, um, fubotv.com slash TSS. Fubotv.com slash TSS. And you'll get 10% off your first two months. And I really guarantee you'll be happy with the service. You guarantee. It's never dropped. Here's the thing. You know, some streaming, you Mm -hmm. always think, oh, but do I trust it? Never, ever dropped for me. It's been Mm -hmm. absolutely perfect and crystal clear. Let's do this. Our friends, the Cooligans, have a show on FuboTV. If you are not happy with FuboTV, ask the Cooligans to give you your money back. There we go. Solved. Perfect. (laughs) There we are. Um, So thank you very much to Fubo for sponsoring today's episode. More listener questions, Daryl. The next one comes from Matthew Graham. Would you like to ask or would you like to answer? I feel like I'd like to save my voice as much as possible. Okay. We always talk about American players going to Europe to challenge themselves. Why don't we talk more about American coaches going to Europe to challenge themselves? I should have emphasized coaches, not American. Um, Like Jesse Marsh is doing right now and Bob Bradley did previously. And would a good showing in the Champions League this year make Jesse Marsh the most accomplished American club coach of all time? The answer to why don't we talk more about Mm -hmm. American coaches going to Europe to challenge themselves is it never really felt realistic. Nope. It never felt possible, Mm -mm. right? Only Bob Bradley 
um, in terms of high end, like say Premier League and mm-hmm. what second division in France with Le Havre. Yep. Um, so Swansea and Le Havre. Yep. We had Greg Hammerby. I mean, I mean, uh, and like Norway with uh, where where was Bob Bradley in Norway? Stabæk. Yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had Greg Berhalter with Hammerby. I think you guys. I, I called you Greg Hammerby. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I All right, cool. <laughs> I know. I know what I did. I know what I did. I liked it though. So Greg Hammerby. Yeah. In the second division, mm-hmm. uh, we had that going on. There were some other like um, I looked through like did a, like a deep Google of trying to find various American coaches. Mm-hmm. There were some random coaches here and there, yeah. but in terms of high profile it's, coaches, there just uh, there weren't any, so it never felt. Possible. It's why I always try to claim David Wagner as being American and not German American or German. He's the so my, in my notes mm-hmm. here for the answer, I've got does David Wagner count? Probably not. He doesn't, right? Because mm-hmm. even though he's American, yeah. he played for the U.S. He came up through the German system. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he considers himself a German coach, right? So it's it's really not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to like go a little deeper on Matthew's question, I would say a big part of it is because I don't think there is much respect for American coaches. And I don't mean that in a, a blanket statement of like Europe hates America. It's just more I think you have to have intermediate steps. You have to be like a coach in Norway or you have to coach in the French second division in order to get a shot and even like a medium tier club to then maybe if you succeed there you get a shot at a slightly larger and slightly larger. Yeah, yeah. But there is not quite the like faith I think in U.S. coaching that there is in U.S. players. And even then we talk often about how maybe European teams are slightly hesitant to to take American players because they're tactically behind or they don't you know, grow up with the system and so you can always count on them to run and work but maybe not necessarily execute the game plan. And I think if the people asking the Americans to execute that game plan, if the player isn't being trusted, then probably the coach also not yep. as trusted. And Jesse Marsh at um, Red mm-hmm. Bull Salzburg, he's essentially circumvented the, the system where European yep. clubs don't want American coaches by going through the Red Bull system, right? So he got New York Red Bull, then he was RB Leipzig assistant coach, mm-hmm. and then Red Bull Salzburg um, head coach. And if people missed... He's the, gone through that Red Bull system, yeah. now he's the head coach of an Austrian Bundesliga team. And if people missed the Bundesliga preview show with Matt Herman, worth noting, like he, I kind of like threw it out there. I was like, do you think maybe we see Jesse Marsh one day coaching like Leipzig as a very hopeful, optimistic? And he's like, yeah, probably. Like, because Nagelsmann's yeah, young. This is, this is the move funnel, on. right? Yeah. This is their system. This mm-hmm. is how they do it. So, so I think... That would be my answer, actually, that if Jesse Marsh like, continues to like go through the ranks and goes to Leipzig and maybe that's a bit more of a competitive Champions League team, then maybe. But to the second question of like, would that make him the most accomplished American coach of all time? No, because Bruce Arena is. And that's the frustrating reality American for me. club coach of all time. Even so, I still think it's Bruce Arena. Just because Bruce Arena won a bunch of MLS Cups and I, he did nothing in Europe? Yeah, what has Jesse Marsh done? <laughs> He's the only American... Uh-huh to coach in the Champions League. Yeah. And he's already the only American to win a Champions League game. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg beat Genk last mm-hmm. week 6-2. And I have a hard time saying that like that one game, and then I, I take uh, Matthew's point that like would a decent run in the Champions League do that? It still for me is no, because then you're still, like you've managed one team for half a season. That doesn't really do it for me. Uh, I understand where the question is coming from, but no, I think it's probably, if you're looking at decorated coaches who've won multiple things with multiple teams, it is probably Bruce Arena, even though I hate that that's the answer. What if Jesse Marsh like literally takes Red Bull Salzburg through to the knockout rounds of the Champions League and wins a round of 16 games? So I was out of town and like have not paid as much uh, attention to the Champions League as I should. Who's in their group? So it's Genk, whom they just beat 6-2, and then it's Liverpool and Napoli. So to get past those latter two, that would be a pretty monumental achievement. Yeah. 
I would build him a monument. I still a marsh st- monument. Sure, but I don't know if I'd, I still don't know if I would anoint him that because it is strange to me to say like he made it into the knockout stages of a competition. Yes, it's the Champions League. Yes, no one else has ever done that. But it would be an upset, right? To get Salzburg that far is an achievement for any coach. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But does that make them? It's an achievement. Is does that make them the most like decorated, the best club coach? I I don't know. I have a hard time making that jump right there. Okay, so mm-hmm. we have a Bruce Arena stand. No, we certainly do not. As I said, I do not like that I have to say it's Bruce Arena, but right now it's Bruce Arena. Because, again, decorated. Like, wh- yeah. what does that mean? Okay, how about if we take Bruce Arena out of it mm-hmm. and um, rephrase Matthew's questions a little bit as, um, would he make him the— so He didn't say decorated, he said accomplished. The, the most me. accomplished, like, American coach to coach in Europe. Oh, yeah, I mean, 100, he already he would, is. Right? Just I mean, I think he so already little is. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. even Bob Bradley— one Champions League win makes him the most successful American coach in Europe. Yes, I think so. Because even Bob Bradley, like—, like Let's remove Swansea. We'll go back to them in a second. But like it was coaching uh, in like Scandinavia, then getting the job in the French second division, and we were hoping maybe that leads to something. And then he ends up getting the Swansea gig. That does not go well. It goes historically bad. And I think there are arguments to be made about why he gets the Swansea job, about connections to American ownership, yeah. and then how there's not much backing there and it doesn't go well. And players have argued he was out of his depth and he used the wrong terms. Make of that what you will. But I think. He would be the only other one that comes to mind for me because I do think Bob Bradley's a very good manager, but yeah. that it's sort of like Scandinavia, French second division, and then like failing at Swansea versus Jesse Marsh going in and like the Bundesliga is a step up over the first two like leagues where Bob Bradley managed. So he's already doing well Bundesliga? there. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, over over the French second division and Scandinavia. Fair, yes, yeah, Norway, okay. I should say. Uh, and then, so I think that already puts him in a different category. And then from there to, yeah, be in the Champions League to win that game, to make a run potentially, that probably moves him up there, yeah. I think it's just worth being excited about, mm-hmm. right? It's just, for me, Red, Red Bull Salzburg is a team I cared zero yep. about last year. I am now really interested um, in what they do. Yes. I'm especially interested to see Red Bull Salzburg and Jesse Marsh against Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. And, and I need him to do well because I want the answer to not be Bruce Arena. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for the next question? Sure. It's from Tanner Hildman. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanner Hildman wants to know, how much do the roles of the two centre-backs in a back four differ? Mm-hmm. For example, do managers tend to prioritise one with building and the other to more stay at home? So the second part of that's talking about centre-backs with the ball, right? Mm-hmm. But like, I want to talk defensively as well, if you don't mind. Um, so how much do the roles of the two centre-backs in a back four differ? Are they both just doing the same job or are they sort of different defined roles? I mean, I think the the like obvious answer there is it depends on the manager because if the manager wants to be a possession team, then they're going to want – they're not going to have one who like is the big gigantic guy who wins the ball and then the other one is the only one who can play with yeah. the ball at his feet. Like Man City don't have like John Stones and then some clogger. Exactly. Exactly. Clogger is a great, is a great term. Thank you for that. <laughs> Um, but I think, as with anything, I'm just, I'm just remembering what people have called me. <laughs> never, I would never call you that. <laughs> but I think, as with anything, you you kind of pri- like build your players around you, build your team around like strengths of your players, and not and then like try to cover their vulnerabilities. So if you've got a player who is exceptionally good and maybe a little bit faster when it comes to exceptionally good at man marking and also maybe a little bit faster, that's going to be the one who tracks the number nine playmaker if you want somebody doing like 1v1 defending, whereas maybe your taller, slightly slower one is going to be the one who deals with like long ball threats. Like I do think you can structure your center backs to kind of prioritize their strengths and play to those strengths yeah. and try to also like at the same time hide their vulnerabilities. Yeah, and I've seen teams do that. You'll have like one center back will be responsible for going and challenging for the ball. Say mm-hmm. there's a longish ball coming, one center back goes and challenges for the ball, another one sweeps up behind, right? Yeah. And it's based on their strengths, right? One has the aerial ability, one is maybe faster at sweeping up in behind and is good at tracking mm-hmm. down loose balls. That makes sense as a partnership, right? Yeah. But I do think we're getting to a stage where if you look at like Liverpool, 
with Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk, I feel like they're both equally capable of doing both. So you'll see strikers like maybe try and stick on Matip and he'll beat them to the ball Mm -hmm. and van Dijk will cover him behind. If they go to van Dijk, Van Dyke will beat them to the ball and Matip can cover him behind. Like So the ultimate thing is to get yourself a pair of centre-backs mm-hmm. who both can do both. Just to clarify, are you saying, I don't think you are, but I feel like it kind of sounded that way. Are you saying Matip and Virgil van Dyke are like equally as good? I think it's pretty close. Yeah. Really? If you watch them, it's often, because they look kind of similar in a way, right? And you can get them confused when you're watching casually. I'm often like, wow, Van Dyke's unbeatable. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, that was Joel Matip. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. All right, I have. A, I, I wouldn't put them in the same category. I think Virgil Van Dijk is the best center back in the world, okay, and so yeah, for no, me, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna argue that. I say how that. dare you? Yeah, I say not, how dare you on behalf I'm of I'm not disagreeing with that, but mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, like, it's not like Van Dijk does one thing mm-hmm. and he's covering from a team right. not okay. being able to do gotcha. a certain thing. Yeah. there's no weakness that's having to be covered by either one because they can both attack the ball, they can both win it high, and they can both sweep up in behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the other thing that comes and into they can play, both carry it out of the back. I'd say Van Dijk a little more, but yeah. Matip's not. Not unskillful when he brings the ball out of the back. Do you think that that is the luxury of wealthy, historically successful teams that like, like not even at club level, but like Spain, I feel like have a wealth of center backs who can play with the ball at their feet. Whereas going back to it, like the US, maybe fewer of those. And so maybe that is where we do see a little bit like variability in what the United States is trying to do. I'm not even saying that's the case. I'm just asking you, like, do you think that is a luxury of very good teams that they can then go out and buy and have players available yeah. who can do everything that they're being asked definitely, to do? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think it's more common to have one player wins the ball, mm-hmm. one player sweeps, right? Okay. As the, as the strengths, because it's just hard to get two that can do both. <laughs> that, that, that is yeah. fair. <laughs> get you a pair that can do both. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll win the Champions League. Yeah, exactly. But, I, yeah. but I, I do think, yeah, like at the end of the day, though, if you want to kind of differentiate, you will occasionally see, oh, that guy keeps winning everything in the air. Or that guy keeps winning everything on the ground. Like, yeah, I think they're playing to their strengths. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. All right. Yeah. Anyone right. on this question? I think, I think that's about feel it for me. Feel good about it? Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to something else I feel good about. <laughs> All right. Today's sponsor is Away Days, awaydaysfootball.com. If you're a long-time Total Sock Show listener, you have heard of Away Days. You certainly have, and you certainly should have, because they offer many different interesting and exciting products, but obviously the one that we always go back to is the Mystery Kit. Darryl, never can, heard of it. Can you explain the Mystery Kit, even though you've never heard of it? Yes, I can. Okay, thank you. So the very basic Mystery Kit mm-hmm. is you pay $25, yep. and you get a Mystery Kit. Mm-hmm. As in, that makes sense. You don't know what it's going to be. You don't. It comes um, in a package, you open it up, and you find out what jersey of a soccer team from around the world that you've got. Mm-hmm. It won't be Real Madrid. It won't be Arsenal. It won't be Manchester United. It will be Panathinaikas or Real Oviedo or like a Japanese second division mm-hmm. team or an Icelandic team or an English championship team. It could be absolutely any team in the world. It could be. Uh, I think sometimes you'll get like bigger teams as options, not with the mystery kits, but they do have other like bigger teams and different kind of like campaigns they'll do. But a lot of times, like I saw one recently where it was like, you can get an Aiden Hazard Chelsea jersey or Romelu Lukaku Manchester United jersey. And it was like, I see what has happened here. (laughs) So those are occasionally options. But I think the other thing that is an option for our listeners is to uh, go to Twitter and subscribe or follow Away Days because there's also lots of different campaigns they do where they'll give away jerseys, they'll give away tickets. They'll just kind of do different things to engage the soccer community. They're a really creative yes. company in mm-hmm. terms of yeah, making that happen. I can't yeah. believe they haven't done a partnership with Ford Madison yet. We should probably make them connect. <laughs> that's how that's how good those two brands are together. <laughs> so as well as the regular mystery mm-hmm. kit, there's the mystery kit gift subscription, which is a three month subscription for seventy five dollars. You can give that to someone, and it will obviously it's the the gift that keeps on giving. Um, there's the women's World Cup mystery kit, which mm-hmm. is women's sizes women's World Cup uh, mystery kits fifty dollars, and the twenty 20- 18-19 mystery kit 
where you pay $40 and you get a 2018-19 jersey. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that may be the Eden Hazard-slash-Romelu-Lukaku-Chelsea-Man United jerseys That's possible. you were mentioning. That's possible. But what if I don't want to necessarily pay full price for those things, Daryl? What if you I wanted to pay like 10% use, less than full price? You could pay 15% <gasps> less. 15 <laughs> Madness. Fifteen percent less if you use the discount. I would have code. gone for eleven, but fifteen is fine. Well, you're, that's why I do the negotiating for the Thomas Show. TSS. TSS is ninety percent off. Code for fifteen percent off at awaydaysfootball.com. The link will be in mm-hmm. the show notes. One more time, that's awaydaysfootball.com for fifteen percent off. Thank you very much to our friends, our longtime friends at Awaydays for sponsoring today's show. More questions, Daryl. What next? My, my document is loading up. All right. Then I will ask you, Nick Becker asks, there we go. can you share what it's like to play soccer with some of the notable figures you've had an opportunity to play against? Uh, Nick asks because uh, you noted a couple weeks ago that you played with Stu Holden. Is a pro like that still clearly the best player around? And are there some sneaky good reporters out there? So this is mostly because we've had in some what I call like casual friendly media games. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Where um, some members of the media... Uh, pull in other members and it happens that some members of the media happen to be ex-players mm-hmm. right? it is, like we should add that there are like official media games for like all-star oh, it's not one of those. Yeah. yeah it's not it's it's not quite that it's yeah. more uh, like the ones in Atlanta like our friend George Qureshi of The it's Athletic not, it's actually organized. mostly George right? it's mostly George organizes these yeah, things yes. now puts, that you mention it yes George puts this together mm-hmm. and gets everybody it's got kind of a buzz about it in terms of mm-hmm. he knows enough people and gets everybody in there yeah. that it, it really feels like an event every time yeah yeah, yeah it does uh, and so in there we've played against a few ex Bros. Stu Holden, I would say, was lights out the best player. Like, yeah. like he he came in, and not only was he the best player himself, but also you could see everybody else sort of be like, okay, now Holden's here. I got to elevate a little bit yeah, more. Yeah. And suddenly, other ex pros who maybe had been taking it like forty or fifty yeah, percent were yeah. at a higher percentage from then on. <laughs> so, the, the, in terms of the um, what the experience is like mm-hmm. to play against players like that, for me, it's just magnificent to see these players yep. in action. In a, it's a stew hold in the wild, but like, a, but like in a tangible way, right? Like yeah. I've seen a lot of professional soccer live, mm-hmm. but in terms of like uh, Bobby Walshaw, mm-hmm. like Bobby Walshaw receives the ball and you try to get it off of him. Yep. So just to have the experience of trying to get it off of him, you can't do that. If you try and do that in a professional game, the security would escort you out of the ground, right? Yeah, you'd be a pitch invader. Yeah, you probably can't do that. Yeah. yeah. So just to have that feeling and to realize how good pro and ex pro players are at mm-hmm. little things like shielding the ball mm-hmm. is. Mind blowing to me. Uh, it's it's mind blowing to me. Like Bobby, as an example, is one who plays like technically pretty much perfect soccer. Like yeah. like when we do these pickup games, Smooth, he, right? he plays very simple. But a big part of that is because he's also like organizing and conducting. Yeah. And Bobby, because he's of, a pointer, uh, isn't he? he is. But like I, like as an example, my sister in law, like she likes to play uh, like 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 drinking games, but she's also like competitive with them but I am also a very competitive person and I enjoy having that person who's a little bit more competitive than me so yeah. I don't have to be that person uh-huh. that is Bobby Bobby will happily be the one who's like okay we gotta bring it together we lost these last two games yeah, this yeah. time we're playing a 2-3-2 two, two, and we're gonna do this and we're gonna try that <laughs> and like I kind of enjoy that because the structure does I think help you play better but it also kind of is like okay people are taking it seriously I want to take it a little bit seriously yeah. too I like that aspect of and it and the other part of the experience is occasionally you do get lucky and tackle an ex-pro you do and you kind of feel like yep like you try and stay mm-hmm. cool, but afterwards I'm like, wow, I tackled an ex-pro. Yeah. That's not so bad. I feel like this is the most name-droppy we've ever been, but it's yeah. the question, I'm so I'm fine with it. I'm trying not to be, yeah. But. Yeah, I think I had one where I like maybe got it off Heath Pierce, and that was my, like, I- I've done it, and then I made the fatal mistake of, like, I've got the ball, and then he won the ball right back off me. <laughs> you mean former U.S. men's national team left-back? Yes. Yeah. And I'm not sure, yeah, again, and then he immediately won it back, and I think also embarrassed me Well, I think that's times. an example of him being, like, he's playing kind of casual, yeah. he's not too worried about it, oh, I lost the ball, and he's like, yeah, now you're, that guy's now you're not mind. taking the ball off yeah. me, I'm Heath yeah. Pierce, I'm coming to get that. Yeah. Enjoy going into the wall, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. Heath is so, lovely. To the second part of the question mm-hmm. from Nick, maybe um, are there some sneaky good reporters out there, mm-hmm. which I assume means um, are there some media people who are actually good at soccer? The answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of those people is George Qureshi, the aforementioned. Qureshi's good, right? That dude is one of those sneaky, like, he's, like, skinny and his frame is a little bit slight. Yeah. He is, he is like, Mickey from Snatch. Like, he, <laughs> he is uh, harder than a coffin nail, I would say, is how I would describe George. Yeah. That he is one who, if you go into a 50-50 challenge with, he will win it and you might feel it a yeah. little bit. Yeah, and he's energetic, right? Qureshi's yes. always everywhere. Mm-hmm. All over the field. I would he also plays highlight, like one of his labradoodles. He does. Yes. Um, I would also highlight Felipe Cardenas. Yep. Mm-hmm. I struggle to tell the difference mm-hmm. between a professional player and Felipe Cardenas. Yeah. He must have played college at least. I right? would assume. Yeah. Or he's, you know, he's just got like the Colombianness flowing through him. It may yes, be. yes. Yeah. Another one Maybe who... all Colombians are at least that good. Yeah. Maybe he's so. the worst player in Colombia. But is it interesting? Why he had to leave? It's interesting because I don't <laughs> disagree with you. That's probably it. You have to be... Yeah, you get voted out. said, no, no, no. You must leave. <laughs> But it's, it is interesting to me that with a lot of these guys, it's not about like they like maybe this is obvious, but it's not that they like are rouletting over everybody and megging everybody. It's just that they do everything very simply, even the very complicated stuff. And that's what I would yeah. say is like Felipe for me is a guy who you're not going to see him do seven step overs. Stu Holden didn't do seven step overs when we were playing. He did a few roulettes here and there, but it's more about how easily they do things that take me two seconds to kind of think and figure out and know how to do yeah. that like that two seconds is a lifetime versus them just doing it instinctively and and being That's able to it, spot right? through the balls speed of play right yeah it's the speed of play mm-hmm. yeah. and you can and you impossible can, to match and and there is nothing sorry for stepping on that but there's like nothing worse as well than like seeing that ex-pro be like you were supposed to make that run and you didn't like you can see them open up and then you realize like oh i was supposed to be running into that space wasn't i i didn't do it and they oh, turn I've, around and play it the other I've way i've disappointed bobby many times yes <laughs> <laughs> um, i also want to highlight henry Bushnell. Do you remember yep. we played mm-hmm. um, uh, Nicole, Nicole Hack, for yeah. Chicago Fire, mm-hmm. um, organized the pickup game in yeah, Chicago for that's us. Right, that's right. Henry came out and played. Mm-hmm. He is really good. He is all over the place. He is? Yeah. All right. Uh, you will get no arguments from me. I just, I kind of forgot that, like, he, he was that one. Because we like, only played with him the once, right? Whereas the other guys we've played Well, it's also because it was like 140,000 degrees and yeah, we were playing on a turf field in the middle of, like, Chicago, which yeah, yeah. itself is not, like, he- helpful when it comes to kind of removing the heat. And yet he was one of those obnoxious people who just kept running the whole time yes. at 100%. It was like, how are you doing this? Why are you so fit? Too Stop much, it. Too much running, Henry. Yeah. Stop being so youthful. Not enough hangover from Henry. Whereas I think maybe we were uh, sporting a couple of those. And the last guy I just remember, Paul Tenorio has mm-hmm. really good feet. He does. Yeah. He does. He's he, Paul Tenorio sneaky good. Were you surprised by how much better uh, Andrew Weeby was than David Goss? <laughs> They're both pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Andrew Weeby, just a far superior player to David Goss. I just want to make sure I hear from David about this. That's all. Just trying to secure that one. <laughs> that is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Another guy who's... Oh, by the way, I make David Goss. You can, you can uh, hear more about that later. I feel like we should wrap this up soon so it's not too self indulgent. Did you make David Goss? <laughs> I'll let him answer that one. All right. He claims the ball went out of bounds. I think a really interesting player who we've played with a lot, mm-hmm. Christian Polanco. Yep. Because he came to it late in life mm-hmm. and he sort of learned to play soccer somewhat recently. Mm-hmm. And he uses these media like pickup games yep. as a, really, a way to like train and yep. test himself and try certain things. Mm-hmm. And he'll like, I hope you won't mind us sharing this, but he'll check in with us afterwards and say, hey guys, did you notice me being any better or worse at this or that mm-hmm. than last time? And he's really open to feedback and it's, it's actually fascinating to watch an adult man be open to hearing those things. Yeah. You know what I mean? And not be pretentious and precious about it. Yeah. yeah. So well done, Christian. Yeah. Well, done, well done for requesting feedback and like yeah. watching tape. I, I don't know if they film, but I feel like maybe he does film and then goes back and analyzes his performances and <laughs> learns from it. He's a tactical genius. They should do that with a podcast. Also that. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, shout out to the Cooligans. Yeah. with you guys. Um, so, yeah, I think that answers Nick's question. I right? hope so. Mm-hmm. And we weren't too self-indulgent? I, we probably were pretty self-indulgent. But also, it, it is a thing that, like... Oh, I forgot to say, um, every time we do this, I'm the best player on the field the whole time. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. I mean, you were out there running around despite having lost weight due, due to the cancer. You were still doing your yeah, best to that hang. Was, that was not my best performance. Yeah, I mean, this is Daryl, though. Daryl is like, again, like I, we had a friend who's had a similar procedure to you, and he was like, I didn't move from my house for two months when I got home. Yeah. And here's Daryl sitting in the office uh, like three days after getting released from the hospital. Right, right. So there you go. That, it comes as no surprise then that Daryl's out there running around, <laughs> uh, even if maybe he's not <laughs> feeling the best. Almost blocking Stu Holden passes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm actually really happy, though, that we got this question. And you did almost block a Stu Holden pass, just because I think we both feel – I know this is ludicrous to say, having had the conversation we've just had, but I think you and I both sort of feel awkward about being like, Look, we're playing with Stu Holton. We got to hang out with this guy. We got to do this. And so, like, I'll post things occasionally to Instagram where, I, like, but the post, the photo that I posted of us with, like, Stu Holton and Heath Pierce and the Cooligans and other people, it was just a sort of, like, this is such a weirdly amazing moment because this is not a thing that I ever thought was going to be a possibility for you and me. Yeah. That, like, suddenly it's... it's happened the last couple of years, right? Yeah. Where we've sort of got to know people. But I don't want to then spend all my time being like, we got to hang out with this. We got to do this. We got to do this. So I'm happy that this question came up but I think it's also why I then got really excited to talk about all the different people we get to play soccer with so I apologize but I also don't apologize should we move on to the next question sure okay it comes from Michael Hastings Black Mm -hmm. Michael Hastings Black wants to know given the consistent frailty of John Bubble Rap Brooks which is a nickname that Mm -hmm. Michael has given him um, why is John Brooks actually worth calling into camp I mean, because because when he's fit, I think he's still our best center back. It, it's That's it's the, the hard thing is that then like, but when is he fit, and why isn't he fit for the U.S. more? And like, he doesn't get called in a lot of the time because he isn't fit. And so, like, I I take Michael's question. Like, it makes sense to me why you would ask it. It just it is the case that when I see him play for Wolfsburg, I see an incredibly good center back who's good on the ball, who can organize a defense, who can win everything in the air, who's good on set pieces. He's he is the best in the air mm-hmm. that we've got. He is the best at playing the ball out of the back that we've mm-hmm. got. He's the best at hitting line-breaking passes. Yep. He's the best centre-back at hitting big diagonal passes. Mm-hmm. He is better than anyone else we've got. He is. And, and I, would, I would add, I think sometimes with John Brooks, because like he's German-American, because he has an American serviceman father, uh, like, I think sometimes it gets wrapped into the Chimmy Chandler. Like Maybe he doesn't quite want to play for the U.S. Maybe it's like he's sort of over it now. He wants to focus on his club career. And I just always, because I've seen that written, I've right, seen that debated. But he's also injured for his club at the same time, right? That's so true. that's how we know it's a real injury. But also never forget his reaction to when he scored in that World Cup. Yes. How much that meant to him and how, remember like... Remember when we played in World Cups? Yeah, that was fun, right? But, like, remember how, like, he almost, like... Remember? Uh, he, like, almost passed out from his, like, level of, like, I can't believe this just yeah, happened yeah. to me. Like, he just runs the, over and lays down. the winner down. against Ghana. Yeah. Me, I can't remember. And it yeah. just, it clearly meant a lot to him, not just to score in a World Cup, but to score for the United States in yeah. a World Cup. And so I think he still very much is committed to the U.S., wants to play for the United States. It just, he's he's paid money by his club team, and that is where his priority is. And I think if you're looking at, like, an early season, like, game or an early season campaign for in the Bundesliga versus, like, some friendlies with the national team where you're sort of carrying a knock, you're not going to want to potentially risk that and miss the season for a friendly. And I also think, so it was against Mexico, right, mm-hmm. where he pulled out probably not long before kickoff because there was a bit of confusion with a groin pull. Mm-hmm. And it, from what I understand, it was like not a full injury, but like a sign that something was about to happen. So it was like, all right, we just won't play him. Mm-hmm. I still, I think it's the right move. I think with an injury-prone player, if there's a warning sign, if there's kind of a, um, a klaxon going off, mm-hmm. you listen to the klaxon yep. and you don't send him out there to get a full groin injury. Yeah. Fair? Yeah. 
I, I, I would agree with that. So like, it's going to be about how we manage it going forward, right? Like, do mm-hmm. we, when you write down your best 11, do you put John Brooks in it? When, you, when you're Greg Berhalter making plans for the Nations League, do you assume John Brooks is playing? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the answer might be to not assume that John Brooks is playing. Because statistically, he's probably not. So what, what do you mean then? So like, how do you, like when you're building a roster, do you know. just assume Actually, it's somebody else until he's there and then you're pleasantly surprised? Like maybe that's it. Maybe that that's, maybe we've just stumbled upon it, which is that we still have this idea that he's our best center back, which I think he is because he is. So then <laughs> we have this idea like, oh, he's going to be there automatically. And maybe we like take it for granted or assume it's going to be the case. And so when we're not, there's that level of disappointment. And maybe if we just assume he's not going to be there and then he actually starts, then we're just excited. Just be pleasantly surprised when he yeah, shows up. sure. Yeah. Such is the state of U.S. soccer. Hooray! Oh. More questions, more questions. Okay. Uh, Daryl, uh, John Martin asks, which national team is the most disliked by other nations? It took, I thought about this question more than any other question, and I kept ruling people out, and eventually I was like, oh, yeah, that's the answer. So I do think I have a definitive answer. Oh, so I struggled to come up with an answer because even though I tried really hard, mm-hmm. I kept coming to the idea that there are rivalries between mm-hmm. nations, but there's not one country that's hated by everybody. <laughs> you think there is? I can't tell if you're being uh, like intentionally leading up to it or if you actually mean this. All right, so hold your answer there. Uh-huh. It sounds like you have something really definitive. Yeah. Um, I've got – so I came up with two possible answers. Yeah. One is in Europe, it's maybe Germany because uh-huh. so many teams see them as a rival, like England yeah. see them as a rival, Netherlands see them as a rival, France see them as a rival. Yeah. Okay. And it's not just because Germany have been so good and like they've mm-hmm. beaten teams so much. Some of it is also World War II related. Yeah. There's just mm-hmm. leftover feelings from that that bleeds into the rivalry. So in terms of just having lots of teams that see them as their nemesis, yeah. it could be Germany. I mean, I, it's a- I would is, happily go is back your in time. answer the USA? No. Uh, okay. I would happily go back in time to the 70s to watch the Dutch play the Germans when like World War II is still like yeah. recent enough but not so recent. And just to see the level of tension and dislike there would be very interesting. No, my friend. Well, let, let me – before you give your answer, uh-huh. I thought maybe it could be the USA uh-huh. because we seem to get a lot of abuse whenever yeah. we go south, mm-hmm. right? So whenever we go to Mexico or we go down to Central America – um, in World Cup qualifying. When we go to Trinidad, mm-hmm. we're not popular. Um, and I wonder if it's because the US is so culturally different to all those Central American teams that like we we are not always particularly welcomed, that maybe it's the USA. Do you mean aside from the time that we had two different political policies about how we were allowed to intervene in Latin and Central American affairs also, without yeah, anybody the, else yeah, saying also, anything? Yeah, that US, probably is a big part of why... There's US geopolitical yes. issues as well. <laughs> I mean, it's why Canada doesn't hate us as much as everybody else. Yeah, and <laughs> why why other countries don't hate Canada. Yeah, that true, that right. too. But I just mean more so like we have less of a history of like interfering in Canadian affairs whenever it benefits us economically versus yeah. in Central and South America. So, and, and I think the other thing is that the United States isn't good enough and I think you have to have at least some threat level when it comes to your actual on-field performance for people to really dislike you versus we do if, against Guatemala and Honduras yeah but I'm saying like when we go to the Ivory Coast I don't know if they're if we play the Ivory Coast I, I don't see. know if there's a like oh but they're also a really good team and I hate them for that reason yeah, too yeah. whereas you have to have a little bit of the you history for Corey and you have exactly you have to have that threat uh I think that if it? you're talking about a team that people don't like for a number of reasons the answer is England Really? Yes. Yeah. I, I think thought you're th- people are like excited to come to the home of football and play at Wembley. There we go. Right there. That's that's part of the reason why. I think this particular iteration of the England national team is more likable than they have than any English team has been in a very long time. Maybe yeah. since like ninety uh, or like maybe ninety four. I don't know. But like ninety six was the last okay. football England team. Yeah. But I think in terms of like look at it from a team that is 
had success historically, has a lot of name players, but doesn't necessarily justify that every single time they go to a tournament, and in fact often does the opposite of that, but still has this level of entitlement of like, you're welcome, we gave you this game. That, I think, factors into it. Your fans frequently being awful does not help in terms of the perception of we don't like your fans so we want to beat you so your fans are sad i think that's part of it too and then just kind of england having the history of invading everybody in the world from a like geopolitical level i think you get some of the negativity that the united states gets as well uh for both past and current actions i think all of that comes together to make england probably a team that people enjoy beating more than others I would agree with enjoy beating mm-hmm. um, for the historical reasons, mm-hmm. both positive in terms of you know inventing football yeah. and negative in terms of colonialism and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say it's not like you see England when they go away. It's not a team that gets booed. You know what I'm saying? Um, w- w- who is a team that you think gets booed though? Like the US when it goes to Guatemala. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think I think that you're looking at that from a like conca- I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that's fair from a Concacaf perspective. Yeah, it would be a fool's errand to argue that the United States is like very unpopular in in our in our confederation. But I, again, I think if the United States goes to like the Netherlands, do they get booed? Probably not. Yeah, but neither does England. Uh, I think your fans definitely don't like have a lot of uh, popular right, sentiment. Right, that's a separate issue. Those like, drunken idiots are not responsible for their. I feel the, like, I, I feel like I've is, touched a, a nationalist nerve here. The team is not responsible for the drunken idiot hooligans. Right? I think also that you all have the Premier League. I think that is another thing that, like, unfairly or unfairly, I think people see it as like, oh, we've beat the Premier League when they beat England, and and some of that arrogance of like the Premier League is the best league in the world. Yeah. Why would you watch anything else? You've actually only beaten thirty percent of the Premier League. <laughs> That's exactly. So I think it's it's not fair because it's really like, yeah, there's not. It's not quite the same with yeah. with like some of the people that are operating in the Premier League right now. But I think that also factors into it as well. All right. Well, I'm going to stick to my original answer, okay. which is that there is no one team mm-hmm. that everybody hates. Yeah. It's more like Brazil hates Argentina and mm-hmm. Scotland hates England. Yep. And it's more regional. Mm-hmm. And Taylor's answer is... And Ireland hates England. England. <laughs> and Wales kind of hates England. Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I think you're absolutely correct, though, that it's definitely a – if you ask a Turk who their least favorite national team is, yeah. you're going to get a very different answer than, say, a Greek. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they each say each other. Exactly. That, that's, that's what I'm getting at here, man. <laughs> but no, but if you ask the French person, yeah. they're not going to say Greece or Turkey. No. I think that's gonna, kind of the point. They're right? going to definitely say England and nobody else. <laughs> Are you ready for today's final question? I suppose Are I am. Are running long? Oh, we're, not, we're under an hour. What Why mean? would you say that? We're, now I'm going to intentionally talk for like 15 minutes. All Let's right, do it. Mm-hmm. Today's final question um, is from Daniel McCurry. Should FIFA have manager transfer windows like they do for players so you can only hire and fire managers in the summer and in January? So I absolutely love this idea and I want it to be the case and simultaneously know that it should absolutely not be the case. <laughs> that is my answer to this. I'd like to see it tried. Really? Yeah. All right. Because it would force clubs mm-hmm. to stick with a coach for a certain amount of time. Right? Yeah. You can have a horrible start to the Premier League season mm-hmm. and the club has to know we're stuck with this guy until at least January 1st. I do like the idea with that in mind of like it being the way the transfer bans work or like it, like a transfer embargo where it's not that you can't agree to sign, like to to with another team to sign a player it's that you like literally cannot register that player and I like the idea of like being able to fire a manager but you cannot register a new manager until the window opens yeah. so then you're stuck with like interim manager or academy manager whoever's oh, already see. there so you, only have you have like, to stick yeah. with yeah until such a time as you're allowed to sign a new manager <laughs> so this is one of those weird so things so much where tapping up so much sound, tapping up it sounds like we both like this idea mm-hmm. but then if it actually push came to shove mm-hmm. and we were on a panel say we're on the IFAB panel mm-hmm. voting for 
do we implement this or not? Mm-hmm. Would you be brave enough to vote yes? No. No, I don't think I would. Why not? Because I'm not sure I would either, and I'm kind of disappointed in myself. I mean, because I'm, I'm a fan of a team who have sacked more than one manager recently midseason. Like, I, I think it, it is the realistic way the game is now. I'm not saying it's how it should be, but I think it, it's how it is now, where there's so much money in global soccer, global club soccer at that, that like, you have to be able to pull the trigger, and you can't just get rid of a bunch of players and bring in new players willy-nilly. So it really does come down to if things obviously aren't working, it has to be the manager that changes. And there's just no way that from a popular or from a political standpoint, you could say no longer can you sack your manager even when you're in the relegation zone and you're – if Man City are in the relegation zone, they're going to sack Pep Guardiola halfway through the season, even if that seems crazy to say out yeah. loud, and to remove that possibility and just be like, nope, suffer and be sad every single weekend. I've I don't just, think that works. And I've just realized what we would create is not a situation where clubs don't talk about sacking managers. Mm-hmm. You'd have uh, coaches that are all but fired. Mm-hmm but they're going to survive for two more months yep. as a zombie coach mm-hmm. because that they're waiting for that January deadline. So you yeah. have these like interminable things of dead men walking yeah. on the sidelines every weekend, and it would be horrible to watch. It would be horrible to watch. Imagine how sad David Moyes would have looked if he was like having to walk around knowing he was about to be fired. I'm not sure he could look sadder than he looked, but yes. Uh, yeah, and then, and then you know the players would stop playing because they're not listening to him anymore because yeah. now like, writing's oh, on the wall. Oh, you'd see teams really go off the rails. Mm-hmm. And they'd all be so, oh, we're waiting for the new guy in January. Yeah. We're not going to play for the next two months. And now there's the, the, you know, the, fa- the famous like, headlines now are like, a vote, a vote of confidence is a vote of no confidence almost automatically. Yeah. And now it would, like, you wouldn't even have that. It would just be like, oh, they clearly don't believe in this coach even anymore whereas maybe like if it was the normal way it works right now that coach would be actually being given time and they're letting him try to figure it out and hope he can correct it and learn from the mistakes whereas in the new system it would just be like oh they just can't fire him yet so he's done and you have the players shut down a bit more as a result maybe the fans don't care as much anymore and you start to lose interest a bit so we're gonna have to file daniel's idea under brilliant ideas that would never work Yes, I like that. I like the idea. What I do, what I do like is almost it being a you like can't negotiate with a coach until they're free agent, and the only other way to get them is like trades. I really, I kind of like that as like a ridiculous idea that one league should try. Of like, all right, if you want to get like, uh, I don't know, if you want to try to get Pep Guardiola by like Barcelona again, like, you got to trade us Valverde and something else if you want this to happen. I enjoy that idea. Oh, let, let's not remake the managerial market. Come on. Come on, it could be fun. Could be fun. What was fun mm-hmm. was answering these eight listener questions. I suppose. If you would like to submit a listener question for us to answer, mm-hmm. it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Mm-hmm. There's a form to fill out, and it populates this gigantic spreadsheet we've got where we look at all the questions and pick the ones we want to answer. Um, we can also say if you subscribe to the show and you support the show mm-hmm. at $10 a month or more, which you can do at totalsoccershow.com slash join, we guarantee to answer one of your questions per month. We do indeed, and we love answering these questions. Like I, Every single question... My favorite shows. Apart Com- from US shows where the US men's national team has won, these are my favorite shows. Is it just because we get to talk about so many different things? or because yeah. I think it's that, and then for me it's also because it brings up ideas or concepts that I hadn't really thought about. Yeah. And I really do try to, rather just... There's so many that I read the first time, and I'm like, no. And then I like make myself read it again and be like, okay, well, that's where that's – oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm picking it up. And with that in mind, I'm not just trying to pad the runtime. I promise to push this over an hour. But I, I do think – I've been wondering like why 
England was like an obvious answer to me for Dislike Nation and why it was less so for you. And I'm thinking part of the reason why I think it was an obvious answer for me, I really do think comes down to your your supporters. And I think your supporters of like the 1980s. And I think that's a big part because like why did Russian hooligans want to attack English fans? It's because of that reputation of hooliganism. Yeah. And I think that extends to a lot of times if you're playing in Eastern Europe, there's a threat of like – you know, we want to let English fans know that we're the real hooligans. And I think that is probably where a huge part of my answer of it being England comes from, is that sort of little bit of the way the team is covered, but a lot of the way the fans have acted in the past, bleeding into like, oh, there's fan disruption, England might be involved. Yeah, I mean, we could have a debate of who's got the worst fans, and then England would be in there. Yeah, I think Russia's up there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they should figure it out in some way. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. yeah right. Maybe like, like, uh, like in some streets in Marseille? Is yeah. that what you're getting at, Daryl? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you want to happen? <laughs> I don't want that to Darryl happen. Daryl advocating for open hooligan- hooliganism. Oh. All right. Thank you to everybody <laughs> for the questions. Thank you to Taylor for dipping back into that last question. You're welcome. Um, all that remains to say is, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Genuinely. Right back at you, buddy. Thank you. Listeners, thank you for listening. We always appreciate it. We will talk to you again soon. I'll be off on Monday. Ryan Bailey will be doing the weekend review with mm. Taylor. I'll also be off on Tuesday because perfect timing. I've got a couple of friends coming into town. Yay! I'm going to be up and about and show them all around Richmond. We, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really able to do much at all. We could wheel you around or something. It'd it be might. Fine. It yeah. might come to that. It mm-hmm. might come to that. But I'll be back on Wednesday. Hannibal Lecter style. We give you a face mask, and yeah. then people don't know quite what to think of you. Let's do it. Perfect. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, hopefully I'll be back on the show on Wednesday, and I should be a bit fitter and stronger, and a bit less uh, Phoebe from Friends um, <laughs> by that time. You mean sexy? Yes, exactly. Is that what she says about the voice? Doesn't yeah. she say it makes her sexier? Yeah. There you go. Is that how you feel, Daryl? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again very soon.